Hello, and welcome to Magic is Real. I'm Shannon. I'm your host. I'm a psychic medium. I'm a human being, and I'm a soul living on this earth in a human body. Today, I have with me Bill Tortorella. Welcome, Bill. Bill is a near-death experiencer, but he's also a very interesting person, so I'm very excited to have him here today. Well, thank you, Shannon. Nice meeting you. So nice to meet you, too. I'd love to start off by having you share with the audience, because you and I have had the uh, I've had the pleasure of speaking with you ahead of time to get to know you a little bit. But I'd love yeah. for you to fill in the audience about who you are as a human being, how you were raised, um, anything that's pertinent to your spiritual journey. Did you were you a spiritual person before? Were you really raised religious? All of that stuff. Well, I grew up in uh, Brooklyn, New York. I was born in the year 1952. My mom and dad owned a, uh, well, it was my mother's actually bar and grill. She owned the bar and grill across the street from Evans Field where the Brooklyn Dodgers played. So my very young years growing up, I remember going to the baseball games on Sunday with my mom and she had box seats behind home plate. It was awesome. I even remember the national pennant games there. I must have only been about four or five years old because I think the Dodgers left uh, Brooklyn in 57 or something like that. And I just, I had a great, great young years, you know, growing up. My dad was a president of the Teamsters Union in New York City. And local 804 was his uh, local, and that was the United Parcel. So I understand that they just got a good contract today. So I'm happy for the men over United Parcel. And then I basically, my dad was away a lot uh, on union business and, you know, conventions. And so I had an older brother, my brother, Peter, uh, basically, he was there for me, like growing up, he was actually, he was almost like covering for dad because he was the one that took me to the ball games. He took me to my, you know, all my little league practices. We went, you know, the circus everywhere. He used to just take care of me. He was about 15 years older than me too. And then when I was 16 years old, they happened to, he had, he was already 30 years old and he woke up one day and had a lot of pain in his stomach area. And next thing you know, they brought him into the hospital. And three or four days later, they come back and tell him that he only has four or five months to live. And this is what they tell my mom and dad. I wasn't there at the time, but they told them there. And my mom came home hysterical that night because we basically didn't think it was, you know, going to be that bad. But, you know, when he passed away, I think my spiritual journey actually began. The reason why, because until that point, I was a young kid in Brooklyn growing up, having a, you know, blast with my friends. But I got awful close to Jesus in those days. I remember back... Uh, when he passed away, the night he passed away, running to my church, praying in front of my church because I couldn't get in the doors. 
and it, it was sad. I, I could only think of, you know, praying and I just left the house and my mother and father was hysterical. So that was my, my memories. My brother were great, but that was a very sad point in my life. And I believe uh, that point structured my life as far as spirituality in a way because while going to school, I went to the high school art and design in Manhattan, and I went to visual arts after that, and the art student league. But I remember my last year of high school, and we had a project to do. So they told everybody we're going to do a storyboard project because we were. I was I was majoring advertising and illustration, and they told everybody, well, we need to. We need basically a short film made up, but in, in artwork and in paintings. So back in those days, commercials and everything, and that stuff was done on storyboards. So we had to do, I believe it was 17 panels. There were 10 inch by 30 inches long. And along the way, we had to tell a story. So I thought what better story would be than the greatest story ever told. So on my 17 panels, I painted the life of Jesus Christ. And that was the start of my spiritual journey. I won some nice awards for that. It was displayed in Manhattan for my project. And then the um, right after graduation came out that year, I'll never forget it because it was crazy how everything was so much in alignment. Uh, NBC Radio was announcing on radio they had a a play coming out by uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber, play by the name of Jesus Christ Superstar, and they wanted a contest to make up a billboard for that play. And out of two hundred and fifty thousand contestants, I'm happy to say I I got to win that contest. It was awesome. Oh. That and is awesome. I was there for opening night at the play in New York City. It, it was it was phenomenal. We were supposed to be on television. They had I re, I'll never forget when they when they told me I won. I because I, I did this card. It was a card on two plywood boards, four by eight foot plywood boards. I had three hinges holding it together. And I did this enormous painting of Jesus on the front with his arms spread out. And I had a burning village in the background on top of a mountain. And all the people started out really small. And on the bottom of the painting, they became about two feet high, where Jesus was about seven foot in the painting itself. And people were reaching out to Jesus with their crosses and torches and everything. And uh, the first time I, when I brought it there, several months before the award was given to me, they said, put this one right in the middle of the room. So I put it in the middle of the ballroom and I opened up. When we went back, there was 250,000 cards and there in the middle was my, my card that Jesus standing there. It, it was, it was just beautiful. And the, I'll never forget the day because we were waiting for the news uh, crew to come in, you know, the, the, the ones that did the news, the running crew that did all the news around town. And the lady said that the crew's running late, running late, running late. And 10 minutes later, she comes back and says, well, the crew was called off because they had to go cover Governor George Wallace at the airport landing. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, well, I guess that was important for some people, but at the time it wasn't important for myself.
I thought that the, the play, I thought the, the meaning of the play had a lot, uh, it meant a lot to me. And I, and I felt sad that day. But the night of the play opened up four nights later and it was just wonderful. I got to meet the cast and uh, had backstage passes and it was awesome. And then I moved down to Florida in um, 1973. Several years later, I moved down to Florida and wound up, I had a job in New York City, or I don't know, a lot of people might maybe remember the name. It was my company I worked for was Triad Studios, but it was a company we did work for Benton and Bowles. Benton and Bowles and J. Walter Thompson at the time were the biggest advertising agencies in the city. And I was a young kid on the board, just doing board work. And uh, I was setting up advertisements for CoverGirl ads. And I remember going down to Miami in 73. Now, remember this, we have no we have no computers back in those days. And me and my young mind at the time thinking that all, all big cities had major advertising agencies that it was gonna be easy for me to find a job. Well, I'll tell you something, Shannon, I moved down to Florida and I found out in 73, there was no advertising agencies. And luckily my, my wife at the time, it was my first wife, and she got a job as a legal secretary, but I had real trouble finding a job. So I remember cruising through the paper, the Miami Herald one day, and I picked up this ad, Miami, the county needs paramedics because there were so many people moving down to Florida at the time. You know, people were, were retiring there and they were just moving in by the thousands, I guess. And Miami Beach was filled at the time with retirees and where South Beach is today it was basically like a, an older retirement home down there and I started being a paramedic after going to school I went to Mount Sinai Medical School and I became a paramedic so that gives you a little update to me going into my going into my life my adult life yeah I told you guys he was interesting <clears throat> Will he also told me an interesting story about how he was kidnapped in Thailand with his ex-wife, and it was fascinating, but just so as not to get off course, we won't go there today, but you've had right. a life. You've had many lives. Where is that art piece today that you made? That art piece is taken, uh, my mom had donated it to a church up in the mountains in Pennsylvania. There's a little church uh, on Harvey's Lake. And uh, it was a beautiful little church. It was it was designed to look like the Alamo. And uh, they they had it back. I don't know what happened because I don't know. It, it was gifted to them sometime in the 90s. And I don't actually know what happened to the painting after that. Oh, wow. But oh, that's, that's uh, yeah, that's how that happened. And I just happened to transfer over. Something happened to me in the midst of my working as a, a paramedic where I, I met someone and uh, basically he gave me a chartered a course for my lifetime. I met the lawyer of Mr. Howard Hughes and he gave me, this was actually on a job I was doing part-time before I became a paramedic. I was, I had to find something. So I was driving a cab. I met Howard Hughes' lawyer and it wound up staying with him and his wife, uh, asked me if I would work for them for the evening. I said, just perfect. And he, they took a liking to me and brought me out to dinner. And uh, he told me over dinner, he said that one day that I was gonna be a merchant and travel the world 
and that's what my course of my life was going to be. And was I he had a psychic, or was he just saying? I, did he just he see that for the, you? He was a lawyer for Howard Hughes. He was I Howard Hughes's I... lawyer, and I don't know if he was psychic or or whatever. But he told me that I was going to become a merchant someday, and I'm going to travel the world, and there's going to be that's going to be something that I'm meant to do. And that that's part. That's I have a book out there. That's all in my book. That story, but it's really really interesting because about. Eight years after I became a paramedic, one day something fell in my lap and I wound up becoming a merchant. I started selling uh, jewelry and watches. And at first I started with a little setup and an outdoor flea market and wound up being so big, I wound up with two stores. And then I said, well, why don't I just start selling to the people that are all buying the stuff down here? So I found out how to become a wholesaler and I started traveling places to like Hong Kong and Thailand, like I told you a story the other day on the phone. And uh, I became a wholesaler and, but I did both. I did uh, retail and wholesale. And I did about 35 to 40 trade shows a year. And actually I'm gonna take you right there. Yeah. When you're ready, cause, because this, and the East story happened to me while I was doing a trade show out in Tucson, Arizona. Yes. Um, I'm now in Prescott, Arizona. So set the scene. Okay. So this was a, this was a show I've been already doing for years and, and years. It's the international gem and jewelry show. Um, it's the Tucson gem show it's called. And it's actually the biggest gem and mineral show in the world. Uh, believe it or not, they hold it in Tucson every year. And people from all over the world come there. If, if you could recognize a convention center, if you have, have you ever went to a trade show? Shannon? No, I haven't. Oh, well, they're filled up in convention center, you know, big halls. And well, the convention center is filled for this show. Every hotel, ballroom in the city are filled with vendors. Even the hotel rooms during the day, the vendors turn the hotel rooms into shops during the day. That's how big the show is. So there's actually, there's millions and millions of people every year that attend the show in Tucson. And I've been doing it for the past five years or so I was doing that show. And every single year, they, they hold it in February. So in February, you know, it's our flu and cold seasons and things like that. And, and this particular year, 1994, something bad was running around out there. You know, people were getting sick all over the show. Uh, I remember being into the show about the third day and the lady across from me in the booth, she just went down. She was coughing all day long. and. She just went down and passed out. So my old paramedic, you know, skills came into play and I went over to try to help her. And I was, I was making sure she was comfortable and she was breathing properly until, uh, you know, paramedics came and they came and got her. I felt fine up until the third day. It was the fourth day of that Tucson show when this first, we didn't know, first of all, whether it was a virus or bacteria. So no one knew what it was. All we knew was people were getting sick and it, and it was horrible. The fourth day I woke up, Shannon, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. My throat was so sore and swollen. 
that it was so hard for me to breathe and swallow. I was having, I was having trouble. I had a, a fever. I was feeling terrible. I went down to the show and my employees that worked for me, they took one look at me and they said, you have to go to a doctor. And uh, my, my wife wasn't with me this show because my son, Billy, uh, she was pregnant with my son, Billy at home uh, this, this time. So this was one year she didn't attend with me. And I went out, wound up going to the hospital first. I remember going to the hospital and the hospital had a lot of people in it. It was very, very busy. So they asked people if we don't mind, if we went to like medical centers. So they all gave people different addresses where to go because there was quite a few people coming down with whatever this was. All, all we knew is they, they didn't, they couldn't identify it yet because it, you know, it came on so quickly and everything. And I went to this medical center and they took one look at me and put me on the gurney. And next thing you know, I'm hooked up with a, a D5W. They put, uh, they, they got IV bags running in me and then they're shooting antibiotic in my IV. Because like I said, they didn't know if it was bacterial or uh, a viral and they gave me, I remember they gave me a couple of bags. I went, I was there that long. I was there to drain at least two bags of IV. So it was, it was several hours that I was there for. And my oxygen levels were bad. So I couldn't breathe. They said my oxygen levels were bad when I came in. So they had me on oxygen. So evidently my oxygen levels came up. They filled me up with antibiotics. And they gave me, before I left, they gave me an inhaler. They gave me antibiotics to take at home. I mean, not at home, back at the hotel. And they said, you know, you don't know, start, start taking these in about five or six hours. So, you know, I started taking them. I went back, I went back to the hotel. I laid down and that night turned into a night of light and love. So if you don't mind, I'll continue with the story. Continue, please. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Well, I fell off into a deep sleep. And this NDE I had is so profound, Shannon, that I actually, I seen myself and heard myself take my last breath. Before I get right into that, I'm going to say one other thing, because I had one other medical problem at the time that I had, I was not aware of. I had severe uh, problem called sleep apnea. I always knew I have it too. I have it too. You do? Yeah, do you mild. Sleep with a CPAC machine? I, I did, and then now I sleep with a mouth guard. Yep, real oh, sexy. Well, <laughs> I'm telling you, you know, I had that on top of my throat being closed down. I had the severe sleep apnea and a really bad case of it, I found out later on. Okay, so let's get to the actual story now. I fell off into this deep sleep. And I remember physically how I left my body. I seen myself leave my body. I left my body through my eyes in this beautiful, magnificent, glowing mist. It was magnificent. The mist was, I call it the color of life because it was this green. If you're used to anywhere being around the mountains in the springtime and when the ferns come up, they got that bright, bright, beautiful green in the spring. And you take that color and you magnify it a thousand times 
And that was the color of my spirit. So now I'm in this beautiful free flowing mist. I'm floating above my body. I'm looking down upon myself on the bed. Now at first I recognize that's me. 100%, I know my body and I'm looking down at it, but I'm feeling something different. I'm feeling free. I'm, I'm feeling wonderful. I'm feeling lightness like I've never felt before. It, it was just a magnificent feeling. And I was hovering and hovering around the body, just looking down on it, looking down, on it, looking down on it. Now, I believe as the spirit passes on, it stays around the body to make sure the body is no, is no longer has any life in it. When my spirit recognized that body on the bed was completely dead, this brightness came from behind and lit up the whole area under me. And automatically I was turned. I'm physically turned. Now this beautiful life, bright gateway opens and it draws me right in. I have no control over anything. I'm just drawn into this beautiful gateway, this tunnel of colors that's so magnificent. I'm in the light, I'm part of the light. Now I'm feeling this, and it was amazing. I'm feeling love like I've never felt before. And now I'm starting to move. I'm moving faster and faster through this tunnel of beautiful, magnificent colors. And the faster I'm moving, the more love and protected I'm feeling. I'm feeling this protection inside me like I'm cradled, like I might be, a, like if I were a little child being cradled by love. It, it was wonderful. And again, faster and faster, and the colors are going by me and through me. And I'll never forget when I arrived, what I'll call heaven, I believe in God. And, and now, my arrival these words come out of my mind i hear them out loud i'm home i'm finally home thank god i'm home i i knew where i was i was there before and now i'm back and it was an amazing feeling and there were spirits all around me and they were welcoming me like family and friends it felt like i knew them it was my family and friends. They were part of my spirit circle, I believe. And then I hear the soft whisper in, I say in my ear, but in my mind, because now I'm still, remember, I'm in this beautiful color and just amazing, but there's all communication. The communication is all with telepathy. It's all back and forth. You feel the love, you feel, you, you speak, you speak, you actually hear what they're saying to you. They hear you understanding. The level of understanding is so advanced. It, it's hard to explain here because they say we use just a couple of percent of our brain. I think we really do here because on that side, I think we get to use 100% of our mind. The, the magnificent thing about it is this voice says to me, yes, Bill, you're home. You're home in the light of God. And my name is Antonia. That's exactly what she said to me. This was a woman's voice I was hearing. My name is Antonia. And I was with you on your journey. She basically told me she was with me on my journey home. I said, I had no idea anybody was with me. And it was just amazing. I felt 
I felt so wonderful. She told me that she was responsible for bringing me back. And she was responsible for bringing me in. So at the beginning, I didn't know what that meant, but she told me I'm one of three of your guardians. And, you know, she already had told me her name and she said to me, you have two other guardians. And the next voice I hear is my brother Peter's voice. I hear his voice say, hello, Billy. And this beautiful angel comes towards me. Spirit angel, I, I always call my brother an angel because he was like a living angel. And he said, hello, Billy. And soon as he said that, I knew inside that this is my brother. And it was amazing. It, it was so wonderful. The love back and forth you become the love. And he, he said to me, we have your life review. I, I didn't understand. I didn't know what life review was. He took me to this illuminated area and they start showing me things that you would not believe. It was incredible. But they are showing me things now in my life review Things, all the things that I've done in my life, all the good things that I've done, the many, many good things that I've done, the things that I've done that wasn't so good. So it was, this was, this part was incredible also because we were back in, we were back in physical form now. We're back in our bodies. He's showing me this, I'm seeing this in my body not here on earth, but while it was happening, he's showing me my life, all the good I've done, all the good I've done, all the good I've done. So when I was a little boy, my mom and dad did okay for themselves. And what I mean by that, my mom had a, a bar and grill and you know she used to give me some money, whatever she did, I took all my friends. Because a lot of my friends didn't have you know, parents, they were just getting by at the time. I took them all to the movies. We went to Coney Island together. You know, we went to the movies. We had popcorn and sodas. And, you know, they never took advantage of me. It was just something that I had a gift to give to them. And the the wonderful part about that is the, the, the gift of service. We'll get into that later on. And giving is so important in life. But I remember them showing me that, that part. And then it took me right up to the part where I became a paramedic. Now I'm seeing all the events, all these hundreds and hundreds of events. It was like I'm in a flickering movie screen almost. And we would go from event to event of things that I physically done. And now we're in the scene of when me and my partner was downtown Miami, we just picked up our unit. And I'll never forget our, our station was in North Miami and we were on the way, we were on the way up to our station in North Miami on I-95. And a call comes over the radio, a 317. They said, we have a 317 on I-95 and 135th Street. We were already on like 79th Street and I-95. And I hear this, a three meant emergency. Whenever there was a three, in front of numbers, that meant there was an emergency call. If it was a two, it was a routine call. 
So I picked up the mic right away and I said, this is 67F. I said, we're less than a two minute ETA. I said, call off unit 69F. We, Cause we were so much closer. We had actually two minutes. They were coming from the station. It would have taken them 10, 10, 12 minutes to get there. So I hear the dispatcher call off the other unit and we took over. Now, by the time I got off the, the mic, we were already at about 110th street. Because he's moving pretty quickly now, my partner, because he know we were on our way up there. We was at the scene. We stopped the car. The car it, was, it was a bad, bad accident. This car plowed into the back of a truck. There's this kid. My first eyes, both our eyes went to this kid. This kid was running around frantically, frantically. And then he sat down and he's crying. He's crying. So I... I Grab my medic bag. We're running out to take care of him, and no, he's yelling, "No, my sister, my sister!" And he's going like this. He's pointing, and me and my partner look over like this, and we see this young girl's head sticking through the window, the windshield. Back in those days, a lot of people didn't wear their seatbelts, and the young girl's head went through the windshield. Me and Danny got into the car immediately. I was on the outside. He was on the inside. We assessed it in less than 10 seconds. If we would have waited now, we had an assessment we had to make. We were five minutes from Parkway General Hospital. We had a quick assessment we had to make. The reason why is because, you know, in, in a lot of procedures, you're supposed to wait for the fire truck to come with the cutters. So that he, he would cut the window off and, and that. He said, but if we did, she would have bled to death. There was so much blood. It was all over. It was all over the place. So I very gently, I pulled the top of a head and pushed it on through to Danny's hands. I ran around the side to, so he could get the, he could get the other and And we, we pulled her out of the car and put her on the stretcher. And I have my hand with gauze pads holding just the top of her head down. I'll never forget this. We put her up in the unit. Danny runs around front. The brother comes running in the back with me. He's sitting. He's looking out the back room crying. And I'm I'm working on it. And now I'm trying to put a bandage on her head. And she starts to seize on me. Her whole body is jumping off, jumping up and down on the stretcher. And she's she's hitting the stretcher so hard with her head. I'm so fearful, you know, I got no control over her head. So I scream out, God help me, God help me. And I seen at that moment, I seen my hand and I seen Peter's hand go right on her head. At the same time, by the time we I got her head down and she stopped seizing, and I had my my other hand cradling the back of her neck. We opened the doors open because we we hit the he hit the emergency exit and the nurses were already called everybody ran out and we just jumped out and we pulled her in and they ran her right into operating and i thought about that all day i couldn't stop thinking about that it was just on my mind my whole uniforms were completely filled with blood we went back to the we went back to the station we got showered and new uniform on and went for the day but i thought about it for the whole 24-hour shift i was on and I remember getting up early the next morning and I'm shaking Danny to get up. It was before we had to bring the unit back. You know, I say, we gotta get up, we gotta go, we gotta go. And I said, and Danny's looking at me like I'm crazy. He said, why? He said, Bill, she's, she's dead. 
I said, Danny, I just feel you never went. You never went back to the hospital when it was that horrific. Because you always just assume that if it was that bad, that they were going to die. So I got into the emergency room with Danny. Danny finally agreed with me because we were going five miles out of the way to get to Parkway and five miles back. And he, he said, okay, we'll have to leave. So we went there. One of the nurses I know, and uh, she came out and I said, how was that young, young girl that we brought in yesterday? She said, do you want to meet her? Oh my gosh, Shannon, the hair standing up on my arms. Still today, chills. I stand up on my neck. She takes us up up to her room and the, the girl is sitting up in bed she's got a whole head bandage it looks like a gigantic bandage around the top of her head but her face is out in the open and she only had scrapes on her face and i'm wondering what what's going on i mean how could she pass she's eating she's sitting up in bed eating jello her mother and father and her brother was half asleep when we came in the room but he popped up out of bread and he starts yelling this is the man that saved your life and the young girl was smiling, and it was such a joyous moment. It was beautiful. Uh, and may I say, she, she was very lucky at the time. The reason why is because we found out, we come to find out, the glass never penetrated her skull. So she she didn't have a skull fracture. And we couldn't see that because all we see was the, the, you know, the fatty tissue underneath it. The head was all scalped. So she was basically scalped right from her hairline all the way back to the back of her head. And she lived and she 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 was fine. She was out of she was out of emergency care and in a couple of days. That's a story I won't forget. But they show you the good, the good like that. And the more good, I think one of the reasons why I had this experience is because I had so many of those things that I did over the years, you know, being a paramedic. There's so many times doing CPR, hundreds and hundreds of times doing CPR, but then they turn it around on me. And now they show me the bad I've done in my life. Now this part was no good. This part was hard. This part was terrible. It, it's not easy to take this part because when you're in your life review, it's not like somebody just telling you something. You actually become hurt and pain that you caused others in their lifetime. And I always say to myself, after, thank God I've never ever really did anything that bad. I mean, we all do bad things. You know, yeah. we all get in trouble growing up, all all kinds of stuff like that. But I say to myself, thank God I never hurt, you know, anybody that bad. I remember them showing me one thing after the other, and it was terrible because everything I everything they showed me, I became part of. So it's like when I I left my first wife. I was I was young and you know, I guess we got married young. We both agreed that it wasn't, you know, gonna last. We were married for seven years, but we had a two-year-old son. And she didn't want to get divorced. And 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 I did. But I'll never forget that pain. That pain inside that they showed me. I became her pain. I became my son's pain. I became all this pain and then over and over and with other things they show me, show me. I said, till the time, till it got to a point where I said, 
please, please stop it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And it just, everything came down and all the gray just dropped and we're back in spirit form again. And I, I said to myself, they said, good. And in my mind, I said, I, I thought like the good outweighs the bad, but I did something when I, I, I pleaded, when I pleaded that I was sorry is when um, the grayness came down and now we're back in, we're back in spirit form. And that was the end of the, the life review plot. And from that part, Peter said that I have a third spirit guide that's been with me. And this spirit guide has been with me my whole life. And um, his name is Oren. And Oren was a magnificent spirit. Oren was a spirit of, I believe, magic. He was, he was the one that I call my intuition that's been with me my whole life as well. He's the, you know how people talk about there's a little angel sitting on your shoulder on one side and there's a bad one on the other side. Well, Oren was my intuition. Oren was the one that always whispered in my ear and led me down the right path. So... How I realize all these things that happened to me in my life because they take me to this place called the Hall of Events. And other people talk about Akasha Records. I didn't know those names, you know? I took it as a big grand hall, a master, beautiful hall. Everything reminded me of crystal while I was up there, by the way. Everything was beautiful crystal with reflections of the universe in there. It was like when we were coming through that tunnel, it felt like we were passing nebulas and we were part of the universe itself. And it was magnificent. And in the Hall of Events is just beautiful crystal. And, and they're showing me now. And the Hall of Events was much different than what my life review was. In the Hall of Events, they physically now showing me things that happened to the world, not just me, all, all real important things. They take me back when it starts off. It started off them showing me wars that I was never in. I was never in these wars. And they physically took me. I, I believe one of the wars was World War II or, or, or Korea because I had family in those wars and I thought it may have something to do with them. But they take me back and show me flicks. It's like I'm in a flickering screen, like a computer moves so quickly. You know how fast the computer moves when it's, 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 it's moving sometimes. And you going from scene to scene to scene. Now, they take me from when I was born. I remember them taking me up to, I think the year was 1963. I'm not sure the exact year JFK died, but I remember them taking me and showing me that because they stopped. This flickering would stop and we would be in an event whatever it was. I'm sitting in my class and I forgot what grade I was in, but I remember coming over the loudspeaker, the principal said JFK was shot in Dallas. And they, they let the whole school <clears throat> leave early that day. So I went home and uh, my mom was on the kitchen table crying with a friend. And I said, I know mom, JFK died. And it was a sad, somber moment because People love John F. Kennedy. They just loved the man. And, 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 and so did we. It was just a 
just a, a good man in, in certain ways. And that they let me from there. I seen the shooting of Bobby. I seen the shooting of Martin Luther King. I saw Vietnam. They took me to these events and now they took me past. They took me physically past my near-death experience. I'm sitting past my near-death experience and I'm sitting at the base of the Twin Towers. Now, this is hard because I have friends that work in the towers. And I remember being there and we could see clear, clear as can be, but people were running. They're running frantically. And, and now I start to run. And Peter and Oren grabbed me said, Bill, you can't run. This is, you're not here. This is future, future. I said, what is this? My friends, my friends. I remember that because it was so emotional to me that I, because I, I had a lot of friends working in the towers. And that, that part I will never forget. And, and from event to event to event there, and I mean, it took me to, I believe it was Baghdad after that, because I remember the bombings and I remember the way people was dressed. So it was in the Middle East and it was after that. But where this ended up was, I believe, was the times of today. Today, if you look back at some of my podcasts from six, seven months ago, yeah, about six, seven months ago now, you'll see that I talk about cities burning all over. I don't know if you've been on the radio or seen the, uh, I mean, the, the news or anything and see all the fires that's burning now. I seen these fires 30 years ago. I said that on podcast before I said that in 2002, when I worked my first book, when I wrote my first book. So I believe we're in these times today where very important choices have to be made. And it's important because we could, we could be in a life or heading towards a life that we don't want, you know, oh, we could, we have choices. I think that people can make them. And I think people could come together. And this thing you hear today about child trafficking, I had that in my book from 202 and I had that in my, my new book. I talked about this, God wants the children safe. God wants the children safe. It's two simple things. He wants children safe. He wants people to get along. This spiritual world, it's different. There's none of this fighting, arguing, all this stuff. It doesn't exist up there. The only thing that exists on the other side is love. You have love and service on the other side, and that's what exists. We come here. This is a, this is a platform of teaching. This is where we learn. We learn how to feel. We feel sadness. We feel anger. We feel sorrow. We feel pain. We feel all these feelings here that we, we don't feel these. We have no feeling of this on the other side. So on the other side, we're in spirit form in, in, in this magical heaven, place I call heaven that's magnificent with God. And we're all part of that. We're all connected as one. And God wants us to connect here. But it's something that's a process that has to be learned. Now, I believe that everything is going to be all right with us and here because 
I basically believe that people, most people are good down to earth folks. I don't believe that the whole world is sinister, anything like that. I think, I think we have to come together. I think uh, this is all baloney. I don't like politics. I don't like it at all because that, that's an easy thing to overcome. We, we could agree on things and fix things like that. But, you know, they took me through that process. And, you know, because you could, you could live, wind up living in a world like Mad Max, simply put, or you could live in utopia. So you have a choice. If I gave you that choice, Shannon, right now, what would you say? Utopia, please. Oh, yes. <laughs> Everybody would say the same thing. And uh, it, it's, it's not hard. I mean, it's not hard. And God doesn't expect us. He doesn't expect us to do spectacular, spectacular things. We all are spectacular inside. We all are spectacular in God's eyes. We all are one. We are all gifted with this. Now, this, this short stay we do here is so minute amount of time up there that, you know, I, I believe that I'll see my brother again someday but for him i think it'll be like it was a blink of an eye yeah and for me it was years and years and years you know but now they take me after the hall of events it's it, this is the final part because i don't want to i don't want to bore people this Not is the boring. final they take me to <laughs> they take me to a beautiful plateau the, the three of them now antonia peter and Orrin. And I'm in this magical place that I feel there's angels all around me. Now the angels were different. They're glowing white beams in color. We, we were all colors, beautiful, magnificent colors. That was, was magnificent. And we're in front of this panel of knowledge and wisdom that I couldn't, I couldn't believe. I get to experience some of that knowledge and wisdom and, and that, that part's in my book. It's called The Nine Principles of Enlightenment. And I learned these beautiful principles from them. And it, it was just wonderful. I'll never forget one of the angels came up to me. And he was so close. I felt like he was touching me. His light was touching my mind. And it was magnificent. And all of a sudden, he's showing me and explaining things and and how how everything is designed and the universe and it runs on numbers and music and he and, and i'm actually seeing crystal flows of numbers numbers floating down in crystals and every time some numbers would beam like light beams in them it, it, it was beautiful and he was explaining these number sequences to me and they told me my life path number was three so i have a life path is, is the number three i come to find out a lot about that now because I've been just as of lately, the last couple of years doing research on that. But my life pass was three and I had an alert sign. They always, they gave me this number, but I already knew this number. They gave me this simple number of six, six. They said six, six is the number. That's a number, that's an alert. It's an alert basically of angels getting a hold of me to try to warn me of something good or something bad. It didn't have to be bad. It could be something magnificent. 
because I remember my whole life seeing I'd be driving the car. I look down at the clock and it's six past six. And I look at the speedometer. I'm exactly at 66. I look up and I hit an exit. I'm at 66. I'll see the number 66 come up 20, 30 times a day. And I know something's going to happen. Then some kind of event happens after that. And I've had that since I was a kid. I was already alerted to those numbers. I knew they meant something to me. I didn't know what they meant. I didn't know what, I didn't know it was angels trying to get a hold of us to give us information or messages from the other side. These angels are with us our whole life, don't forget. And it's it's just, that's, that's so that's magnificent. They're showing me numbers, numbers are lighting up like the ones, the eights. So you know what that, that means in Christianity, the one and the eight, Shannon? What does that mean? The one, well, one represents God and the eight represents eternity. That's in that's in the Christian Bible. Now the number eighteen, numbers one through nine. Nine is the highest number in the universe on the number platform. They show me ones, eights. They show me three, the sixes, and nines, like like Tesla's numbers. They show me those numbers. They're there for a reason. The three, six, nine, because everything is divided to thirty-six. The one and the eight is eighteen. The zeros, that it's not that they're not counted. On the other side, the zero is put in, it registers something like the number three, six, nine is 18. Now, if you, you take those numbers, it's, this is, it's simple, but I found out a lot of things after this stuff happened to me. These were a measurement system that they were explaining to me. So it, it, this is a quick example. If you take the diameter of the moon itself, the diameter of the moon is 2,164 miles across. It's 233,000 some odd miles, almost 300 miles from the earth to the moon. So if you divide the 2,160 into that, you get the number 108. If you take the numbers, and these are the numbers they showed me there. If you take the number, of the sun to the earth. Now the sun is 93 point some odd million miles away from earth. You divide that by the diameter of the sun, which is 644,000 some odd miles, the number comes to 108. If you take the, the diameter across the moon, the diameter of the moon, or the radius of the moon, excuse me, it's 108. So all these numbers are used in Buddhism and in Hinduism. If you know the Buddhist beads, they have 108 beads on their prayer beads and they, they recite 108 Buddhist prayers. And in Hinduism, in all, they, they do 108 mantras. So this number, this devised number of 18 is very, very, very important. So these are just some of the things they showed me and it was amazing. It was, it was just enlightening, totally enlightening. Then this beautiful spirit comes to me and they're explaining different principles to me. They're explaining these beautiful nine principles of enlightenment. And there's this 
quite a few principles to go through there. So we don't have to do all nine, but the, the things that are important is we shouldn't do things like take another life. If you take another life, you could hinder the course of the earth. It's not just killing somebody. You don't know what their son and daughter could have became. They could have been the cure for the most worst diseases in the world. So number one principle of enlightenment is not to take another life. I mean, I'm not saying you can't protect yourself in self-defense. You have to, because no one's allowed to take your life either. But we shouldn't be taking other, other people's lives. So that's very, very important not to do. Number two and three is, two is your intuition. Two is Oren. Oren's that, that one that gives me the knowledge which path to walk down my whole life. Always stick close to your intuition. Stick very close because your intuition is so, so important. That's your angels trying to tell you to stay on the right path. Number three is choices. All these principles run together. So your, your intuition is important because you're going to have to make a decision of choice. Choices are, are so important. That was the name of my first book that I wrote, Choices. But choices are so, so, so important that you can make the right choice or the wrong choice. You just have to remember one thing, there's an outcome for everything. So that's why we try, we try to pay attention to that intuition. It's so, 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 so important. And number four is service. Our gift of service is our gift from heaven, from God to give to others because our spirit naturally grows in a process of service. And more basically, that's why I'd say these are so simplified. The more good we do, the more the more good our surroundings become, not only for us, but for everybody. See, we, over on the other side, no one thinks that there's no I, 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 or me, me, me. It's all one. So everyone is together. So when you do a service, that's basically for everyone. And it comes back to everyone. Now, there's other principles like lessons and the lessons are given to us every day. They're dropped in our laps. And I have amazing, amazing stories in my book about lessons. There's so many different things in on the body. The body is a temple. That, that's another, another principle of enlightenment. The power of love and nine rungs of love along with it is just wonderfully enormous. The top ladder of love, if I ask, when I ask people, well, how do you feel about love? Is love for your children, love for your spouse, love for your family? What's the most important love to you? And, you know, you, you get different things from, from everybody. I mean, some people, the most important love for them is their work. I mean, but there's a love that people don't think about. And that's the, the higher level of love. It's the love of Mother Earth. We have to protect Mother Earth. 
we don't abuse her. As we breathe, she creates the oxygen we breathe through our trees, through our rivers, our, our, that's our veins, our juggler vein is our life existences, our water. That's what we drink. So we have to protect mother earth. That's so, so important. And those are basically, those are, those are nine principles. Of course, it would it take me about three hours to explain all nine principles. And we don't That's why have, you wrote a book. Yeah, yes. And they're very, very, very interesting. Very interesting. I, you get to that mother earth and understand that she lives. It's, it's so enlightening and wonderful. But let me get to the end now. So what, what, what happens at the end is this beautiful, beautiful spirit approaches me. Light, glowing light. And it's a spirit, not an angel, it's a spirit. And she says to me, you have the understanding of the nine principles, you must return. And Shannon, when I tell you with all my heart and soul, I stood there and fought and fought and fought. I did not want to return. I did not want to come back to this place. I no longer needed this place. I was part of God and God's love. I said, I'm, I'm with God in the light. I begged, I pleaded. She said, you must return. You have to return. Your alert system is 66. Your life path number is three. You have the nine principles of enlightenment. You must return. I couldn't understand. And then she says, Dad, I'm six of six. You must return. And the next thing I know, I'm being pulled back like a vortex through this amazing thing, but it's not quite as wonderful as coming up. And I'm back in my body. I'll never forget this. I'm in my physical body again for the first time. And I, I breathe. I couldn't get the air into me. Oh, it was like you being under the water for a long time. And then you come up and you just go... <laughs> like that it was so i had no i had no air i finally got my my lungs finally got air in it now i could i could breathe and it was terrible i was back in this body but i couldn't move i didn't even feel my body so i thought i was paralyzed when i first when i first got air back in myself i thought i was paralyzed and it was it was terrible because i couldn't i couldn't move and then I started feeling, I started feeling the pain that I had earlier in the day. And I started feeling pain first. I remember that. Then I was tingling all over myself. Tingling and then my, like my blood's flowing through my legs again and my arms. And then I remember reaching over and calling the operator downstairs at the hotel. And I think they sent somebody that was helping me at work over the day. I don't know who took, I, I passed out and I woke up in the hospital. And that was the story. But there's one more thing. My son was born in 1994. 
in September. The show was in fall. I mean, it was in the, it was in February, the show. I only had two sons at the time. I had my oldest son, Joey, now is 46 years old. And my son, Billy, now is 29 years old. And he was born in 1994. This happened to me in 1994. In the year 2000, on the sixth month and the sixth day of the sixth month, my beautiful, sweet daughter, Brianna, was born. And that was I am six of six. And that's the story. I have to compose myself. Oh, Bill, thank you so much for sharing that story for the thousandth yeah, time. Yeah, there's so much more it's, in the thing. It's so beautiful. I mean, you that know, just but there's so much more in the in the whole story about the book and and, and the connection. Like, if, if you ever get to read the first part of my book, the I want to the life part, not the yeah. that the life part is connected to the other side. And when you get that two things that are connected to each other, then you'll understand how this whole thing goes. Because, uh, yeah, I, I have a book out there now. It's called The Ninth Level of Enlightenment, The Wisdom of the Light. And, and I'm going to uh, have links to all of your books and things oh, underneath. Oh, good. Okay. Um, yeah, but I, I just, that's one of the most incredible stories I've heard. Um, and I've heard a lot of them and it really brought me to tears and chills. And, um, I, I, it's funny. I, I'm sort of speechless because I feel like you covered so much that often I have all these questions, but really after I'll just, all, all I'll say is when you came back from this experience, it sounds like you are, you just sort of, I, I'm assuming that you kind of had an understanding that it was real, that you weren't somebody who doubted it how did you sort of oh, i had back? no doubt whatsoever yeah i have had, i have no doubt whatsoever some people kind I, of have that moment of what happened and it takes them a while to process there it, was but... no in between yeah when, when people talk about the veil i know what they're talking about the difference between you know both sides but i didn't go through a physical veil or anything like that yeah i went right i turned right into pure light, pure energy, pure love. Now that's the thing that people don't quite understand. A lot of people nowadays talk about the energy, the energy, yeah, of course, of course we're, we're all energy, but they don't know within that energy is knowledge, wisdom, and love. The love is God. That's the, that's the only thing that a lot of people have a little problem with. So right. yes, we are energy. We are part of the universe, but that's that's God Himself. The beauty of the beauty that the the gift to us is 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 life, and we're supposed to basically simple just do the right thing. Right. You know. And, and I know that you were already on a I you were already on a a path of caring and love and compassion, but after this happened to you how did it sort of change? I mean, was it difficult for you to come back and start and go back to your regular life or did well, you go it forward? Wasn't you know, you know what happened when I came back after a couple of months went by, I never told anybody about it until then I told my, my, my wife first. And, and she said, you gotta go see my own doctor. 
my doctor that I've been with for years and years and years. And so I made an appointment with my doctor Vasquez and I didn't know how to tell him because back then nobody even talked about near-death experiences that much. You know, it's something you didn't want to bring up in conversation that easily because people would think hey, there's something wrong with you, you know. And uh, it's something that it wasn't brought up as much. It was around already, yes. But I didn't know anything about near-death experiences. I was a businessman. I was a businessman for years and years and years already after being a paramedic. And I had no idea anything about a near-death experience. So I went to my doc. Thank God. I should put this in here because I went to my doctor, Dr. Vasquez in Miami. And he's been my doctor since I was a paramedic years and years before this. And he said, why are you here for? I says, well, you know, it's time for a checkup. I haven't had an annual checkup this year. So he takes me in the office, does blood work and does a checkup, you know, listens to my heart and everything. He says, takes my blood pressure, does all the normal stuff. And I said, Dr. Vasquez, can I talk to you? He says, of course, of course. And uh, he says, is it medical or something you want to talk about? I says, it's something I need to talk about. So he says, okay, follow me. So he went back to his office with him. Luckily, he might not have been at busy that afternoon, and I was really happy for it because he had some time for me. I sat down in the chair, and I'm looking at all his diplomas for the first time. I've never been in his physical office before. And uh, I said, Dr. Vasquez, something happened to me while I was out in Arizona, in Tucson. And he said, well, what happened? I explained the whole story to him, just like I just explained it to you. And he said to me, Bill, I want to explain something to you. He said to me, Bill, you're the seventh person that just told me nearly the exact same story. Not the physical story itself, yeah. but the part about the floating above the body and the going through the tunnel and then recognizing they were home in heaven. And he says the people that he has people that died on the hospital tables and the operations he has people that died in the house and that, that came back he had people that died on the way to the hospital and he said he said for some reason the people that died at home and died away from the hospital they had a a, a, a more fulfilled story because when you're in the hospital you know they hit you with a defibrillator three times if you yeah. go out and they, they bring you back right away. So a lot of people only get to the first level, what I call detachment. In the, in the book, I explain everything out. When you're totally detached from the physical body itself, the spiritual is detached from the physical. And a lot of people are, are pulled right back in at that point, you know? But for people that's been out for a while, so he says to me, I want to explain something to you. He said to me, you had something called a near-death experience. Then he said to me, I have to take you back in the office. I want to do one more test. So he pulls me back into the, the medical office. And now he's hooking me up to electrical cardiogram. But he's taken a long, long electrical cardiogram. In those days, it was the sheets. You know the sheets that used to come out of the yeah. when they yeah. took electrical mm -hmm. cardiogram? Okay. 
and his sheets and he's going through the sheets and going through the sheets and going through the sheets and he's going to it seemed like a whole minutes passed by he's going through the sheets to me and he's stopping and looking and stopping and looking stopping and looking and he said bill when did you have your heart attack i said dr vasquez you know i never had a heart attack he said bill you had a heart attack wow i it, it was it was like amazing you know he says he said bill Took me back to the office again. He sat down. He said, I want you to relax now. He said, I don't want you to go and join any cult or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, said, he said, he said, but understand something. He said, Bill Tortorella, he said, a lot of people get to find God in their lifetime. He said, but Bill, you were gifted with meeting God in your lifetime. And oh, that, bless that, that man. Yeah, because a lot of doctors didn't I know. do that. People I heard from other yeah. people that had NDEs. Yeah, I, I, he was he, he was wonderful. He was wonderful. He was so knowledgeable about things, you know. Yeah, and uh, it was a That's blessing. Beautiful. That's. I'm so sorry beautiful. I took up that much time. I'm I'm happy you did. I I think that was a worthy story. I think, I I'm I think it's important, um, because I think a lot of the medical professional me medical professionals science professionals often uh don't believe in this some do but they're well, not allowed to talk do. about it now yeah there's so many that do yeah there's I so mean, many that do I'm, I'm with a uh i have a, an indian doctor now he's fabulous and and at one time he didn't believe in it he told me too but mm -hmm. he knows now yeah not, not just from me he knows from other patients because they hear it they hear it over and over again and they know there's another side and he saw physical miracles happen you know it's incredible. so yeah no i thank you so much for sharing oh, all of what you did i first of all it, it's like going to church for me and i know that everyone else will will feel that way too i i, I really don't even have i feel like you covered anything i would have asked i feel like that was such a complete story and you're such an extraordinary person. And I think I got choked up because there's something about a big, strong, burly guy telling a spiritual story that just chokes me up because it, you don't expect just it. Just a regular guy, you know. Yeah. Just... It also, I, I feel like, lends so much credibility to it. Just, <laughs> you know, seeing it coming from someone you wouldn't expect to be this big mush ball sometimes, um, but sometimes right. by yeah. our outward appearances. I have a lot of guys on here who were like, yeah, I'm an engineer. And, you know, I, sh I try to show those to my dad and be like, look at this, look at this guy. Um, you yeah. know, he's clearly not insane. And, and he's, he's someone you could relate to. So that's why right. I, I do like to have people on the show that are grounded, uh, everyday people that people can relate to, because this can sound so crazy if you're not open minded to it. But um, oh, yeah, I think people know a little better nowadays, but people are a lot more informed. They are. There's so much. There's more of a curiosity now, which I'm really excited about. And occasionally, I'll get a comment where people are like, "Yeah, right." And I'm like, "You, yeah, you, well, you have any? Yeah. I don't care. I mean, it's that's, that's okay. Yeah. It doesn't. If you don't believe it, if they believe it or not, it really, doesn't. You'll find out. That, yeah, you'll know one day. Someday. Everybody will. Everyone will. And but that's one, so. Oh, yeah. You'll never be afraid. Never ever be afraid of dying. Thank you for saying that. That's why. I'm doing this work. That's I know that's part of why you're doing this work, um, at least in part, that we want people to know that death is very sad when it happens to, you know, when we lose people that we love, it is gut-wrenching, painful, horrible, sad, 
you know, and grief is a yeah. real thing, but well, that part is terrible for the people that's left behind. The people that are left, but but for for us, I mean, for but for the people that are us, for the people that are experiencing the people it, that pass. the people that pass, it's a beautiful that experience. That, that thing, one thing, Shannon, we don't die. We, uh, we never don't. die. Yeah. We live for eternity, and it's a wonderful, magnificent, beautiful. It's all fulfilling. There's no need for anything like we think we have needs here. There's none of that over there. What a relief. Just remember that one thing. Yeah. Thank you so much, Bill, for your time, for your energy, uh, and for your now your friendship, because I just adore you. Uh, and thank you for taking the time to share your story with my listeners and for just being uh, you're the welcome. beautiful soul and human that you are. Well, you have a nice evening. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye-bye.